Have you ever wondered how to protect the intellectual property in your business? And what even is intellectual property? If you've wondered, you'll get answers today from Andy Nelson, U.S. Army veteran and attorney at Fortis LLP, our guest today on the Financial Operating Base. Welcome to the Financial Operating Base, a podcast and community to help you, the veteran entrepreneur, to navigate the terrain and accomplish your mission of business success. And joining us today is our guest, Andrew Nelson from Fortis LLP. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks a bunch, Joe. Uh, and uh, Joe, appreciate it. you guys inviting me on. No problem. Why don't you just tell us about your background, your military background, and how you got into uh, law? Sure. Uh, I'm a Washington native. Um, you know, grew up there, lived my whole youth, I guess, up there, right in the Seattle area. Uh, ended up wanting to have some adventure when I got out of high school. I really wasn't sure about what I was going to do, which I assume, you know, I guess is, you know, a lot of people face that kind of uncertainty. So what the heck, you know, hey, you know, how about one of the branches of service uh, end up being Army? Uh, you know, I figured I was going to make a short stint somewhere and get my college money, that sort of thing. And funny enough, I think it was, you know, the Army is the one that just called me first. So, you know, that's how I ended up uh, joining the Army. Uh, and going in, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, but since I, I was very sure I was going to be in there just for a couple of years. So I said, like, I'm going to do army stuff, scored well in the ASVAB, had all the choices about MOS and all that thing. But I said, like, I want to, I want to shoot, you know, rifles. I want to blow stuff up. I want to jump out of planes, all that stuff. So I chose an infantry, airborne MOS. Um, and that was me. So three years in, got done, never veered, uh, off course toyed a little bit with staying in, but really I went back and decided it was college time. So moved back to Seattle, went to University of Washington, uh, graduated there with a, a BA in poli-sci and history. So again, here I'm at a crossroads where I don't know what I'm going to do because it doesn't have much, uh, not much future there, I guess, with that kind of degree. So I kind of really, there's no, there's no grand plan, but kind of just ended up understanding or at least under the getting under the impression probably from others that law school is kind of a next logical step. And that was really what kind of went into it. There was more, but that's largely what kind of drove me to law school. Um, and that brought me to California. Um, that brought me to California. Um, I wasn't sure exactly where I was going to go. Applied to a lot of law schools, ended up staying West Coast. So I was kind of near home in Seattle, but um, still a good far away, you know, a good distance away. So I kind of hit the reset button and focus. Um, with, always with the plan to go back to Seattle. Uh, didn't do that. Just the California market. This is back in 2000, 2001. was really great uh, for lawyers. So I ended up staying down here and worked in the Bay Area initially. Um, and then after a couple of years of practice uh, through a variety of circumstances, ended up in Southern California um, in Orange County. I've been in Orange County ever since. So gosh, since 2003 now, I've been living down here and practicing law. Very cool. And what is your current focus at Fortis LLP? Um, I hate to use the descriptor trial lawyer, you know, because that's kind of what people understand. Um, or they get us, I guess, a vision of what I do. Uh, I'm a business civil litigator. So I help, I deal with business problems, help people resolve business problems, either avoid them or narrow them, um, and hopefully reduce and resolve them. Um, so in the 
the greater sense, I help businesses with all sorts of issues. Um, but on subject matter area, um, to the extent I can, I love focusing on intellectual property issues. Um, and then in that realm, I actually veer away a little bit from the dispute side and I do a lot of counseling and prosecution uh, practice when it, um, when it deals with trademarks, you know, branding issues, public facing kind of commercial identity for businesses. Um, I do some transactional work on that side with uh, a few other folks at my team here, or on my team rather. For, the, for those listening um, that are largely business owners and entrepreneurs, um, can you define for us what is intellectual property and how can a business owner and entrepreneur um, position themselves to protect it? Sure. Um, I guess the best way to start out is kind of by contrasting it with other sorts of property that are very familiar to everybody um, or any business owner and really anyone in who doesn't own a business. Uh, people understand probably what personal property is. You know, it's, it's your pencils, you know, it's your car, you know, it's, it's your inventory of your business owner, that sort of thing. Uh, real property, right? Real estate, you know, maybe uh, ownership as in, you know, a fee hold or a leasehold, those sorts of property. But intellectual property is, is more the intangible property. And it's, it's not property in the classic sense, but it has come to be understood um, and recognized you know, over the centuries and, and recently, really in the last 100, 150 years, um, as protectable property that is valuable to a business owner. It encompasses a bunch of things, so we can talk about that if you want. Um, it usually falls into three or four kind of distinct categories, I would say. Um, and there are various ways that a business owner or even an individual can come to kind of take advantage of that. Sometimes you have to do some very formal things, um, actual formal steps to establish it and own it. And sometimes uh, it comes into creation just by doing something, um, not a formal step, but actually just um, uh, creating something um, or taking certain actions that aren't necessarily like a formal step with the government, and that may create it as well. So it depends on uh, what kind of intellectual property we're talking about. So I think some of the common ones that the listeners might have in mind would be a copyright or a trademark. Can you maybe explain those as examples and how would a business owner use those to protect their intellectual property? Yeah, sure. And there's a couple more, and I'll, and I'll hit them all really quick. So the classic, um, and I'll actually hit one that you didn't talk about first, the classic kind of intellectual property or IP, as I'll say, is patents, right? People um, have heard of patents. They, they're going to encounter them some, counter them somewhere along the way. Patent usually refers to a classic invention, right? Um, something you create that may be a physical, useful object, um, you know, like the latest and greatest mousetrap, or it may be a combination of things, um, you know, a process or something that makes something better. Um, that is your patent. And a business owner or an individual can take advantage of a patent by creating something and actually registering it um, with the federal government. Uh, the trademark you mentioned a moment ago is a different kind of intellectual property. What that protects is a business's outward facing identity, kind of how the public connects a, the goodwill of the business um, to how, how they recognize it. Um, so you might see things like, of course, you know, names of businesses. You might see graphics as in, or logos. Uh, you might see slogans or it could be other sorts of really distinct identifiable things um, that consumers connect with the business. Those sorts of things can be protected. A business owner can protect this in a couple of different ways. One is really just by using them. If, he, if a business owner uses those distinct items 
with their business, they start to gain protection in basically all 50 states. It's the law is generally the same in all 50 states. Um, business owners can actually uh, increase their protection or make it better through a formal registration process that might happen at the state level. Uh, business owners can often take advantage of the federal government as well and register something at the federal level, which gives you the best protection. So there is kind of a, a two, uh, kind of a, a dual path, if you will, um, to protect trademarks. Um, copyright is yet another kind of, put that in another bucket, that sort of intellectual property, people are probably familiar with this one as well, even if they don't know it by name. This is kind of, uh, this is the protection that helps kind of the creative fruits, I guess, of a, of a, of a person. It's not just a business owner, um, but even individuals. So copyright protects things like literary works, writings. It protects graphic art. Uh, it protects fine art. It protects um, sculpture. Uh, protects music, um, the recording of music. It covers quite a few things, but kind of those artsy things, so to speak. Those as well, um, I, should, I should say, those come into, uh, copyright is created, not through a formal process, but just by actually doing the creation itself. Once a, uh, an author, if you will, that's kind of the term that's used, creates something that is copyrightable, the copyright exists. Um, and then from there, if uh, or an owner or an author can actually increase their protection and help themselves out by registering with the federal government, um, which increases their protection, allows them uh, different avenues to pursue remedies if their copyrights are infringed. Um, the fourth um, and really kind of the final, um, you know, major kind of uh, column, I guess, if you will, for intellectual property involves what's called trade secrets. Um, and that's best described as secret information. So, uh, and by illustration, everyone's familiar with, say, the Coke formula um, or the Kentucky Fried Chicken you know, original recipe, that sort of thing. So trade secrets are best thought of as information that has some kind of commercial benefit or it gives a, a business owner um, a competitive advantage and has to be kept, I mean, no surprise, secret. So um, that's as simple as that is. And those, as um, similar to say trademarks or copyrights, those exist not through some formal process with a government agency, but by merely taking certain steps to keep information secret. If that's done, um, then somebody may have a valuable trade secret. And that could be a very valuable asset for a business owner um, if, uh, you know, if they're ever looking to say sell or license um, or even potentially even borrow um, the trade secret. But it's very hard, it can be very hard to maintain because uh, uh, I guess much like a vampire, once a secret hits the light of day, poof, it's gone and it can never be recovered again. So that, those are kind of your four major areas of uh, intellectual property and kind of how they come into existence and what can be done to protect them. So I guess in summary, it, would this be a good way to think about it? A, a patent is on a new um, process or invention or item. Um, a trademark is around a brand. Um, a copyright is more around art or an idea and a trade secret is something that um, is unique but could be pretty easy, easily replicated if it were made public. Is that a decent summary? That is a good summary, yes. 
Um, here's, here's another question for a business owner or entrepreneur, um, that is either working on starting up their business or they've just launched it, or they've been running a business for years. At what point should they start thinking about some of these things? It really needs to be from the very beginning. Um, and here are reasons why. If you start, let's start with a trade secret. If you start, if you think you've got the secret sauce to something, um, but you're just kind of casually exploring it, um, talking to other people about it, you may destroy it before it ever begins because you're disclosing it to other people and you're not keeping it secret, which is a requirement. So you gotta think of it from the very beginning. Patent is very similar. If you come up with a, a new, novel and what's called non-obvious invention, um, you got to be careful about disclosing it because if you do, if other people find out about it, you may trigger certain timelines that may forever bar you from seeking a patent uh, if you do that. So you got to be familiar um, with um, you know, the requirements and the dangers. Trademarks, um, this is something I see all the time. Uh, people basically, you know, they, they come up with ideas about um, how they're going to be perceived or seen by the public. They fall in love with those things and they just go. They just go with it. They don't look to see if they're going to be stepping on someone else's toes. And so they invest a lot of money. Um, they spend time developing an identity only to have that identity threatened later on when someone comes to call and says that they're infringing on their trademark. So again, you got to think of it at the very beginning and continuously um, as well, because once you build these rights, you got to start watching, make sure other people aren't stepping on your toes. Um, with, with copyright, that's probably one, you know, to be honest, that's one that you don't necessarily need to think about right away, but you need to take an inventory and audit every once in a while and kind of think about what you might have that's valuable. People create things all the time. I create stuff all day long. I'm sure you guys do too, too. Is the subject copyright? Yes. Does it have any commercial value? No, <laughs> probably not. Um, maybe in your own mind, but um, it, it's, it's, you, you, you still want to think about it periodically for copyright because if you do create something that has some value or you think it's going to have some value, you need to pick and choose what things you might register and, and what you don't. Those Because it costs money to register. You're not going to register everything that you create. Um, but it's required to register if you're going to ever seek remedies later if somebody infringes on your, on your rights. And the, and the issue is if somebody infringes on your rights and you haven't registered beforehand, a lot of the advantages um, that you'd otherwise have are, are not there. You can't get certain remedies. Um, you may have to spend attorney's fees. You can't recover those um, if you don't have a registration first. So you really want to do think you want to think regularly about what copyrights are important to you um, so you can register those. Um, and it has a deterrent effect, but it also preserves a lot of rights you might have. So long and short, it is early and then periodically. Andy, I think we've seen a lot of veteran business owners and entrepreneurs take themes from the military mm -hmm. when they ran their business. Yeah. Um, companies with airborne in it or Leatherneck, et cetera, the, the colors of the different services in their logos. Yeah. Um, as that's all affiliated with the government, are any of those colors or names off limits to business owners um, to brand their business? Um, and then is there anything else that can't be um, trademarked? Sure. Okay. So trademark specifically we're talking about here. Um, and yeah, starting with, you know, the kind of the, the military themes that you see out there. Um, the government itself actually owns a lot of trademarks. Um, government cannot own copyrights, 
uh, but the government can own trademarks. So all the branches own a lot of trademarks. So you know, Semper Fi, Go Army, a lot of those things are owned by the government. So those are things that you, people need to watch out for because people are getting cease and desist letters from the various branches. That's happening, number one. Um, if we go away from that a little bit and then start using some of these other themes like Semper something else or um, you know, some other you know, airborne whatever, probably okay to use. Um, but the thing that I'm seeing a lot of is a lot of folks are using it. So it, it, there may be some kind of emotional connection to it, may sound great, may identify you as having some connection to the military. But you know, an advantage of, of or one of the goals of having a valuable trademark is being distinct, standing out in a crowded marketplace. So when you see a lot of the same words or color combinations being used, um, there's a lot of blurring going on. Um, and there's not that distinctiveness um, that's out there. So, um, so that can be an issue. And now you see a lot of folks, you know, using some of these same words with similar industries. It seems like in the military community, there are a lot of people doing a lot of different things, but then there are some businesses that you're starting to see over and over again. Um, and so I've seen a lot of people crashing into one another and causing a lot of disputes, you know, where they don't need to exist. Um, the other part of your question, are there other things that are just off limits? Yeah, there are some things that are not protectable that people are using. One being um, someone else's mark, of course. So if you're using elements, you know, uh, Eagle Globe and Anchor, you know, from the Marines, for example, or some variation on it, that's typically not going to be protectable. If you use the flag of the U.S. or flag of another state, um, not protectable, not even registrable. So you cannot do it. Can you kind of blur it up a little bit? You know, we see people using kind of abstract um, kind of renditions of, say, a state flag or with Texas, you might see their, uh, you know, the, the uh, and I'm going to screw this up, sorry, Texans, but, you know, the cannon and the come take it, that sort of thing. You see combinations, if it's broken up a little bit and made abstract, those might be protectable, but that's something you've got to look at a little bit more. You don't want to just duplicate um, you know, what is, uh, what the government's using. So any state government, municipality, county, all those things are, uh, they're off limits unless you can kind of really kind of blur or change or, um, transform what you're doing. So those are things, there are other things that are off limits as well, but, um, those are the ones that I see over and over again in the military community. So it sounds like something like a unit insignia or crest or, or a branch insignia, um, you may be able to change it enough not to infringe on the government's um, trademark, but right. you still may not be able to protect it for yourself because it's still too similar. That's true. Um, and, but what I don't want to, what I want to make clear though is a lot of these government owned trademarks, like people can take advantage of them through a licensing arrangement. So you see some folks in our community doing that. Um, it happens when people are making shirts with government insignia or branch insignia. A lot of people are just doing it and it's unlicensed and they're probably getting those letters that we're not hearing about. A lot of folks are licensed to do that though. We see that in jewelry now. We, you know, a few folks we know are licensed to produce jewelry, uh, t-shirts, other sorts of tchotchkes and things like that. Um, that's perfectly fine. That's not someone developing their own brand. They've got their, you know, their brand but then they're producing licensed goods. So it seems like there's certainly ways uh, you can get in trouble and you need to navigate through the intellectual property arena. Um, outside of intellectual property, what are some other ways you see young companies get in legal trouble um, that you and other attorneys need to help them address? Uh, I think it's, 
What I see most often are contract problems. I mean, commerce, business, all circles around contracts for the most part, even if it's an oral verbal contract, um, an unspoken contract, when you walk through, you know, the grocery store, you don't say, you know, hi, cashier, if I pay you this amount of money, you know, will you agree to give me this food? I mean, it's just unspoken. That's a contract though. So folks are entering in all sorts of deals, but doing it very haphazardly. And a lot of complex deals, they're either doing it one on a handshake, um, you know, with the, you know, the fist bump, hoping that everything's going to turn out okay, or they're grabbing stuff off the internet and just Frankensteining together some kind of written agreement that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, that I see a lot of, um, a lot of, and you know, that's something I, I talk a lot about uh, when I do speak engagements, I talk about intellectual property a lot, but I think in the near future, I'm probably gonna talk about some of these contract issues because I see these coming up. You know, a lot of things that people step in, whether they have the wrong parties, believe it or not, on a contract. Sometimes people have a business, they'll have an entity form like an LLC or a corporation, but they'll put their name on the contract, personally obligated themselves instead. You know, you see things like that. You see dispute resolution provisions that say, hey, if we get into a, a problem over something, uh, we'll resolve this by a three arbitrator panel, which automatically means thousands of dollars, in Timbuktu or something like that, which makes no sense. So uh, you just see a lot of people just slapping together contracts that are really ticking time bombs. Andy, thanks. Well, this has been a wealth of information and really helpful. I want to leave some to be told later when people can, you know, get specific and individual information for you. Um, yeah. So if you have any parting shots, you know, let us know if there's anything else you want to cover. Um, and how can people get in touch with you? Are you going to be at the Military Influencer Conference? Um, and how else can, can people get to you? Yeah, well, I've, been, I've, I've said enough, I suppose, so I won't take up any more of your time. I am going to the conference for sure. I've, uh, I went to the inaugural one. I went last year. Loved it both times. I'm, I bought my ticket for next year immediately after the last one ended. I am going. Um, and I hope to meet you know, more people. I love to see people I already know there. I love to meet new people. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, my email address is fairly easy. It's a Nelson, first initial, last name, at fortislaw.com, F-O-R-T-I-S-L-A-W.com. Um, and my phone number out here, uh, my direct line to my office is 949-397-2964. I do get back to everybody. That's awesome. We look forward to seeing you in September in Washington, D.C. at the Military Influencer Conference. And we really appreciate your time today, Andy. Joe, Jeff, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you as well. Wow, that was great stuff from Andy Nelson about how we can protect the intellectual property associated with our businesses. And a lot of that was such great information that we probably don't even think about because it's not always intuitive to us um, as entrepreneurs and business owners. But um, it's really critical that we're thinking about ways to protect ourselves, uh, protect our businesses, and protect the growth of our businesses. Joe, what do you think? What are, what are some other ways that we could protect the value of our businesses? Hey, Jeff, Andy mentioned intellectual property as opposed to physical property. And probably physical property is what business owners most associate with something that needs to be protected through insurance, uh, most likely. So if you have trucks that are involved in your business or other machinery that's involved in your business, uh, you would get an insurance policy on those in case they get into an accident or have some issues. Similar, if you own the building for your business, that building is going to be insured.
Yeah. And, and that type of protection is very um, acute or discreet to the assets that our businesses may hold or be associated with. Um, and some other ways we can think about things a, a little bigger picture or, or more globally um, are what's called enterprise risk management or business in, interruption, you know, such that something could go wrong or ways to protect the total operations and even, even down to a backup plan through um, storms or natural disasters or, or things of that nature. Thinking about key vendors that we might have or, or supplier, what's the backup plan or way, ways to protect against that type of supply chain interu interruption. Um, licensing requirements or other type of oversights that might interrupt our operations as well. Joe, what else can you can what else can you think of in terms of enterprise risk management? Uh, inventory certainly would be something that could be insured uh, as part of enterprise risk management as well as if you produce a product warranties on your product. What happens if you produce a product and all of your customers find that it's defective? You're going to need to either rebate them or repair or otherwise fix the product. Um, that was defective. And those are all things that you may be able to get third-party insurance for, or you may want to put away a warranty pool where you take a little bit of your profits to say, this money's being held in reserve in case there are warranty claims against products that I've sold. And we, we can even manage risk through um, you know, having extra cash on hand through um, something like a, a business savings account just to fund operations. Um, and another creative thing that businesses can do um, is set up what's called a captive insurance company. Joe, can you talk through how that works and how a business can use it? Sure. So captive insurance would be where the business itself also owns a insurance entity. Hence, it's captive because it's owned similarly to the business. And you're taking a percentage of your profits that an actuary has determined um, meets certain risks. So you can self-insure for cyber theft. You can self-insure for the loss of your largest customer. You can self-insure for losing your licenses or ability to do business. It's really enterprise risk or business interruption insurance, but you're self-funding it. And the pool is there. And then if you need to tap into it because one of these events happen, you can draw on the insurance uh, to cover the risk. In scenarios where that makes sense, I think that's a really cool and creative option because rather than paying your insurance premiums um, towards a third-party insurance company like we usually think about, um, it's cool that that you as a business owner or your company could actually own that entity that's collecting the premiums as well. So I think that's really cool. Um, another thing that we think about um, with our businesses is its value. And fundamentally, the value of any business is in its growth. So we can think about how we can foster and protect the growth of our business and ultimately its, its value um, through its, its future growth. Um, and that's by reinvesting. We can reinvest in our brand um, to make sure that it is growing, that it is um, supported um, in order to fuel that value that we want to protect. Um, one example would be capital expenditures or CapEx, where a company is spending money on equipment and things of that nature for production and growth into the future. Um, so there are ways that we can do that that protect the growth. 
And also, uh, a lot of companies are service businesses as opposed to manufacturing businesses. And when you think about a service business, your primary means of generating revenue is through your employees because they're out providing a service to clients and customers. So reinvesting in your employees, making sure they're well-trained, well-educated, and well-motivated to do their jobs is essential to making sure they show up every day and do a good job to generate revenue. So certainly employee benefits, um, such as we think about retirement plans, 401ks, holidays, days off, um, to motivate employees to do a good job, bonuses uh, to work for your company, that's really a form of insurance because you're making sure those employees are out being maximum productivity every day. Yeah, definitely. And as entrepreneurs and Joe, you and I as investors, um, what all this comes down to when when we want to protect our businesses and protect that value, um, like we said a second ago, it's all an investment. So it's not necessarily a sunk cost, but it's something that we want to proactively uh, seek to contribute to uh, because protecting value ultimately is creating value. Yes, and certainly you don't know the future, and we all remember this from our days in the military. You'll have uh, an operational plan, and you need contingencies for that operating plan, and it's very similar in business because you don't know what may happen. You can think through as many scenarios of what may happen, and you prepare for each of those scenarios, and that's really taking care of your business and making sure it can endure for the long haul. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Andy Nelson talking about intellectual property and how we can protect our ideas. Uh, we'll leave you at this quote today from Robin Williams. No matter what people tell you, words and ideas can change the world. Ho I hope you'll join us next week as we chat with Dan Dwyer from Bet to Biz Life about bootstrapping your business. Thanks for joining us on the Financial Operating Base podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so send us your questions or feedback to financialoperatingbase at gmail.com.